0: Open your Bibles, please, to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. As our young brother just prayed, you may have heard some of these things before, but the Lord is able to teach them to us anew and to convict us by His Spirit that we ought to do them. There is no profit in hearing the Word of God unless it results in doing the Word of God. Now, if you're going to do it, then you are thankful for hearing it. But just hearing it by itself has no value. In fact, it adds to the burden of guilt that's upon your soul and brings greater judgment from heaven. We have opened the precious words of God. It doesn't matter whether you like Galatians 5 or not. The Lord God of heaven likes it. And He chose these words, every single one of them, to teach us some things. And we want to learn them today. Father in Heaven, we have opened Your precious Word to this place. We pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, You will bless these inspired and preserved words to the profit of our souls. Help us to rightly divide them that we should not be ashamed before Thee in our doctrine. And Heavenly Father, convict our souls that we will take from these words lessons for our lives that will change us and conform us to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians chapter 5. We have covered four and a half chapters through verse 12. The Apostle has spent four and a half chapters trying to correct the doctrinal error in the churches of Galatia, where they were adding to the finished work of Jesus Christ in order to be saved. The Apostle Paul had taught them the truth, they had believed the truth, they had been baptized in the truth, but then false teachers had led them astray And that is possible for all of God's elect. They can be led astray. They can waste their lives in churches where they are taught little or nothing. Or, worse than nothing, false doctrine. And so, we want to understand what comes next. After four and a half fervent chapters, where the Apostle Paul pulled all stops to convince these Galatians that the Jewish teachers were wrong, he then comes to verse 13... And begins the practical part of his epistle. If you read Paul's epistles, you will find that the first half is doctrinal in nature. And at some point he will make a division and turn to the practical effect that should have in your lives. Some epistles, the break is so definite that there will be an amen in the middle of the epistle. Romans chapter 11 verse 36 ends with an amen. Chapter 12 begins with, I beseech you, therefore. Ephesians, the break is between chapter 3 and 4, same way. The break is right here between 12 and 13. And so we enter into the application of what he wants these Christians in Galatia to be doing. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. For brethren... Ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Liberty is a word that's used here. If you go back to the first verse of chapter 5, the first verse of Galatians 5, Paul started off this chapter by saying, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That verse, as I explained last Sunday, meant Jesus Christ has paid the whole law. Don't go back and try to add those rules as necessary for eternal life because Jesus Christ has secured eternal life by Himself. So stand fast. Do not be moved. Do not let anyone persuade you against the true gospel of Jesus Christ. You are free in Jesus Christ. You do not have to keep that yoke of bondage. So that's where we got the word liberty. Now he used the next 12 verses to, do, to go after those false teachers again. But he comes to verse 13. He reinvokes the word liberty, taking us back to that first verse. And here's what verse 13 means. You brethren in Galatia, when you hear me say, that the law has been paid for by Jesus Christ, and you've been delivered from the claims of the law, Christ having died under the curse of the law and was made a curse for us, has freed us from the law, that does not mean you can live any way you want to. The temptation, if you had been taught the law all your life, would be to think that that meant you could live any way you wanted to. And Paul knew that that would be a common argument Because you can read in Romans several places where Paul says, since we are not under the law, shall we continue in sin? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And the answer is, God forbid. That's not the course we should take. And so that's what verse 13 is saying. Paul knows that these brethren, having heard about liberty, might think, well, the liberty of the gospel means I can live any way I want to. Because Jesus Christ has paid for my sins, justification is secure for me. Brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. There is indeed liberty in the Gospel. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Don't let that liberty we have in Jesus Christ allow you to relax your guard and let out the works of the flesh. We had Romans 7 read to us. In Romans 7, we read about an inward man. In Romans 7, we read about a mind. In Romans 7, we read about I. Paul is describing a part of him that under the influence of the Spirit of God is made in perfect holiness and righteousness and only wants to please God. But he described another part that he said was in his members that was warring against the law of his mind so that he was schizophrenic spiritually. He said, the things I want to do in myself, in my inward man, in my renewed mind, in my spiritual new being from regeneration, I can't do them like I want to. The things that I hate, because they're contrary to God, I end up doing sometimes. And he describes that great conflict that's in a Christian's life. That is the flesh. If you're born again this morning, now if you're not born again this morning, your life is simple. And that's why you doze. And that's why you think about other things. Because there's no, nothing going on inside you. You're dead. You're on your way to hell. And it doesn't matter. You can see them. You can talk to them. They're not hard to find. If you're a born-again child of God, you have a conflict going inside on inside that you hate. It irritates you and angers you. You can't wait to get to heaven to where you can get rid of that old man. You are not content sinning. You are not happy sinning. In fact, you never want to sin. You want to do righteousness all the time. You can't be content sinning. When you sin, it grieves you until you repent of it and turn again to the Lord. You can't continue in it because we had read to us from 1 John chapter 3 that he that is born of God cannot sin. Now that doesn't mean he can't sin at all. It means he can't sin as a course of life and be happy in it. It's going to destroy him because he's got a seed in him. And what that's what's that seed? It's the beginning of your resurrected body, soul, and spirit that's going to spend eternity in heaven, and it hates sin. And it will not let you get away with sin forever. It's going to drive you to your knees. It's going to make you miserable. And so what we have in this 13th verse is, when you hear me preach about liberty, that doesn't mean we can live any way we want to. That doesn't mean we let that flesh out and we just relax. Jesus has done it all. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound and Jesus Christ might be exalted by us sinning? No. God forbid. But, as opposed to that, by love, serve one another. Oh, brethren. I preach more on brotherly love than even those social gospel preachers out there that only think about love. They don't even know the love of the Bible and the love they preach about. They pound their people. With, they don't pound anything. They, they, they pour syrup over their congregations. But you know how much I emphasize brotherly love. And I am still at the age of 49 in amazement when I go through the Bible at how often it's mentioned. Right. Here's an apostle that was worked up to a feverish pitch writing this epistle. If you couldn't tell that, you didn't listen very carefully. He spent four and a half chapters out of six pounding a doctrinal error. But as soon as he believes he's run the course that he needed to to correct them in that error, he turns to love. What epistle do you want to bring to me that doesn't have love in it? I'll bring lots of epistles to you that miss other things, but love is the greatest. Love is the greatest grace. It's the greatest evidence of eternal life. It's the greatest commandment. It's the royal law. It includes all other laws. I've tried to preach these things to you. And here we are, bumping into it again right here in verse 13. But by love, serve one another. Now that's not the first time he mentioned it, because he let it slip out in verse 6 of this same chapter, when he said, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision but faith which worketh by love. He he, he just couldn't hold up until verse 13, so he let out a hint in verse 6 of what was coming. You Galatians, forget worrying about whacking off a little bit of extra skin. Forget circumcision. Get serious about your faith working by love. Your belief and confidence and trust in God resulting in good deeds of service towards your brethren. That's what you ought to be doing, because that is the evidence of eternal life. Hold your hand there and go back to 1 John chapter 4. Hold your hand at Galatians 5, and let's look at 1 John 4 that was read to us earlier this morning. 1 John chapter 4. I want to give you. I want to give you something that I hope will help you get more out of Galatians 5. Now we're, I'm way ahead of myself right now, but not really. The word "fruit" in Galatians 5:22, I believe, is misunderstood and misapplied by most Christians. But the fruit of the Spirit. They read that and they say, "Well, I'm waiting for the Spirit to bear all this fruit in my life." forget the word fruit for a minute and let me give you a word that has the sense that is intended by that word fruit. But the evidence of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And see, it totally changes how you look at those two verses. Instead of sitting around in your lazy... You're a religious lazy boy, waiting for the Lord to generate these nine things in you, you know that it's your duty to generate them, and when they're generated, it's the evidence that the Spirit of God is in you. Because that is what he's teaching in Galatians 5 when he says walk in the Spirit. He doesn't say wait for the Spirit. Are you? Do you all grasp the significance of that point? Don't wait for the Spirit. Don't wait for the Spirit to bear fruit. Walk in those nine things and bear them. Show them. Add them to your faith. Do you know you can add them to your life? And when you add them to your life, it is the evidence. It's the fruit. Because you're showing that you're a righteous tree. Bearing righteous fruit. 1 John 4. I want you to see it here. It's, It's everywhere when we look carefully. Verse 12. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. No man has ever seen God. You haven't ever seen God. You've never walked down a street with Him. You've never had Him in your bedroom. You've never had Him in your devotional closet. You've never had Him sit beside you while you're listening to Alexander Scorby on CDs. You've never seen Him. But God is in you if you love one another. If you love one another, it is the evidence that God is in you. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. God is working out His perfect love in your life, and He's dwelling inside you if you love one another. The if conditional statement there is for the evidence of knowing God's inside you. Because it shows itself by loving one another because by nature we are hateful and hating one another we are selfish and seeking for vain glory we are envious and malicious and vengeful we are lazy when it comes toward others but all those things can be corrected by the power of the holy spirit when you choose when you choose to love one another you've never seen god but you can know something for certain today god is inside you if you love others sacrificially, selflessly, with a goal of helping them be a better Christian to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? We can look around and we can see that in others. As soon as this service ends, you will be able to witness others doing the very same thing, and though you've never seen God, you're sort of seeing God, because you're seeing Him working out through others' lives you will talk to other people who don't have one good thing to say, who don't ask questions about you, they're not concerned about you, they're only concerned about themselves because they're only in love with themselves, and you'll know they've never seen God nor known God. This is the measure. Verse 13, 1 John 4. Hereby know We that we dwell in Him and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us. Hereby what? By what evidence? It says hereby. So there's something here in the context by which we know that God dwelleth in us and us in Him. If we love one another. If we love one another, then we know that God hath given us His Spirit to dwell in us, because you wouldn't love another person without God's Spirit in you. And so when we come to Galatians 5, I don't want us to read it in the sense that we need to wait for the Spirit to bear these things. This moment that we have together, this moment we will never have again, and you will answer for this moment. Let us lay hold of these Scriptures and choose to love one another by walking in the Spirit. How do you walk in the Spirit? It doesn't mean wait for the Spirit. I'm so sick of charismatic mysticism. You don't wait for anything. Get busy doing what the Spirit has already written to you that you ought to do. And that He's already telling you inside you that you ought to do. And when those things match up, the Spirit of God is going to bring joy to bear in your life and he's gonna fill you with assurance that you're a child of God. It's a choice. Walking in the Spirit is not something you wait for. It's a choice you make. And let's make it this morning. Let's make it right now. I wanna walk in the Spirit. I have heard the liberty of the Gospel. Jesus Christ has bought total freedom for me. He's done it all for me. I'm free. I'm free. What can I do for Him? How can I show that I'm free? Walk in the Spirit. And don't give an occasion to the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. But by love, serve one another. Let's come back to Galatians 5. I hope that little trail over to 1 John chapter 4 helped explain Galatians 5 to you. And verse 13. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Let's not use the Gospel to relax and allow opportunities for our flesh to come out. That flesh is that sinful part of you. It's the parts you got from your mother and father. Whenever you have a birthday, whenever you have a birthday, and you know, let me, let me chase another rabbit that's way off the subject, but you're going to run into it. We do observe birthdays in our church. We don't do it here because that would be a total waste of time. But our families do observe birthdays. There are some of those out there that find out that we don't celebrate Christmas, Easter, Halloween, and Valentine's Day and they say, how do you celebrate birthdays? That's just as pagan. Because we have examples of it in the Bible. We have an example of a very similar event in the life of Abraham when he threw a great feast and celebration for the, the weaning of Isaac. Abraham threw a great celebration for the weaning of Isaac. That was a point of passage in the life of Isaac. And the Lord blessed that and honored it. We read about Job rising up early in the morning and offering sacrifices for his sons on their day. Because he feared that in the levity of celebrating their day, they might have cursed God in their hearts. It doesn't say he offered sacrifices because they blew out candles on a birthday cake. It says, in the levity of a party, they might have cursed God. That's a short trail about celebrating that we're accused of. We cannot let down our guard and celebrate things that the world does or let our flesh out. We want to walk by the Spirit. We come to verse 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. All the law is fulfilled in one word. Now this is a very interesting statement. Paul has spent four and a half chapters teaching us that Jesus has paid for the law. We're not under the law. We don't keep the law in order to be saved. But all the law can be wrapped up in one sentence. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. This is a very important statement about understanding the New Testament versus the Old. What is included in the commandment Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself? Think about it. Our priests, our Levitical priests included in the commandment Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. No. He's bringing forward into the New Testament, everything that we are still held accountable for, and he's leaving behind everything else. All the ceremonial, all the civil, all the national rules of the Jews are being left behind. He's bringing forward the part of the law that still applies to us, and that's the law that's wrapped up in how you treat another person. How you treat another person does not depend on whether you eat pepperoni pizza or not. A Jew could not eat pepperoni pizza under the Old Testament because it involved pork, which involved pigs. But thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. All the law that still applies to us is wrapped up in the love of God and the love of others. And so the apostles bringing some things forward for us. The Bible says the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. And one thing Jesus preached over and over and over was the commandment that ye have heard from the beginning. Right. What is that? I, I, it, that ye love one another. Right. That ye love one another. That ye love one another. And see, that's the New Testament law. It's a law based on the liberty that we have in Jesus Christ, and we love God and we love one another. Let me tell you about that Old Testament. There was the ceremonial laws. Telling you about the priests, what they had to wear, what they had to do, how they had to wash, how they were consecrated, how old they had to be to get into the ministry, how old they were when they were put out of the ministry, and all those rules are just left right where they belong in the book of Leviticus. We have the sacrifices of a lamb in the morning, a lamb in the evening. All sorts of other lambs, bullocks, goats, Day of Atonement, dipping blood, putting your thumb in it, putting it on your ear, and all that stuff is left behind. It's not part of loving your neighbor as yourself. The diet. There's whole chapters about which animals you could eat and which animals you couldn't eat. There's whole sections on what a woman's to do when she's under her period. There's child dedication. There's leprosy and whole chapters about the different colors of scabs All that stuff is left behind because it's not part of loving your neighbor as yourself. The covenant laws of circumcision, the Sabbath day, are gone because Paul teaches us in other places that they're gone and he says right here, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Well, what commandments are wrapped up in that? It certainly isn't circumcision. That doesn't do a thing for my neighbor. The Sabbath day doesn't do a thing for my neighbor. Those are covenant laws that God gave to Israel for their special, particular national benefit. Don't ever let anyone tell you that the Sabbath day is for all men. No one observed the Sabbath day until Moses taught the children of Israel to do it after they came out of the land of Egypt. No one had ever kept the seventh day of the week. They'd never thought of keeping it. It wasn't a required day. No one had ever heard about it. You say, but... But, but didn't Adam keep it because he had Genesis chapter 2 that said God had hallowed the Sabbath day? Did Adam have Genesis chapter 2? Did Noah have Genesis chapter 2? Did Abraham have Genesis chapter 2? Who had Genesis 2? Israel at about the time of Moses' death. They never had heard of it before. Listen, it's so... I'll, I love to run into these Seventh-day Adventists and tell them that I'm thankful to be a New Testament Christian and I don't know why they want to be an Old Testament Sabbatarian. And then you show them from the Bible. The Sabbath was a special deal between God and the people of Israel to reward them and to honor them and to bless them of having one day off in seven because they had to work so hard in Egypt. They had never heard of it before. Do you know how you know? Because they got terribly confused about manna collection. You've got to go read Exodus chapter 23. When the manna came down for the first time, they got all messed up. They did not understand that this sixth day I need to go out and get twice as much because I can't go gathered on the seventh day. You can go read about it. They were confused because they'd never kept a Sabbath day before. All that was to say the Sabbath went away. It's part of the Old Covenant with Israel. That's why Paul in Colossians chapter 2 would say, don't let anyone judge you in the New Testament about the Sabbath day being important. Because it's not. That's why in the New Testament, they met on the first day of the week. That's when they worshipped. That's when they made their offerings. That's when Jesus Christ appeared to His disciples. That Those covenant laws went away. How about the national laws? The national laws of circumcision. I mean, the national laws of the cities of refuge. Seven cities of refuge. Do you know where your nearest city of refuge is? Or did that go away? How about the extermination of the Canaanites? Should we just switch a few letters and make it the extermination of the Canadians? Or did that... Sorry, Mother. Or did that all go away? All those national laws went away. The national laws of restitution and slavery for thieves and so forth are gone. We can gather principles of wisdom from those commandments, but they're no longer binding on us. What's binding on us? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Because it includes all the laws that are to be brought forward, the ones on how we treat other people. Now you can go get principles back there. Watch. The Apostle Paul says, Doesn't the Scripture say, Now this is Paul. He's the one that wrote this. And said, if it's not wrapped up in the commandment, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, it stays back there. He said, does the law say, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn? Does God really care about oxen? this is Paul reasoning in 1 Corinthians 9. Is, Is Paul a member of PETA? And does he really get worked up about oxen? Or, this is Paul's words, does he say it all together for our sakes? New Testament ministers are to gather from a verse like that that there's a principle in the mind and heart of God that when you are laboring in some particular endeavor, that endeavor ought to pay the bills. So Paul reasons from it. He goes back and gets a principle, but he doesn't go nowhere. Does he tell the Galatians, "Don't you dare put a muzzle on your ox"? He gets a spiritual principle out of it. Instead, Galatians chapter 5, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The second commandment, thou shalt love thy neighbor, doesn't teach us anything about the Levitical priesthood. It doesn't teach us anything about circumcision, the Sabbath day, the Canaanites, or pepperoni pizza. It teaches us to, to love one another as we love ourselves. What remains is the love of God and the love of neighbor, which Paul and James and Peter repeat throughout the New Testament. That's what remains of the old law. All that came forward were those things and other things that are added to them. For instance, when the Bible says, Thou shalt not kill, that's part of loving your neighbor as yourself. Look at Romans 13. Holding at Galatians 5, look at Romans 13. If you, if you grasp, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you will understand what commandments it's pulling from the Old Testament into the New to make the new law of liberty under which we live. All the ceremonial, sacrificial, priesthood, national, civil, all those laws were part of the nation. The nation's been done away with. We're a new nation. A spiritual priesthood. And here's our commandments. Look at Romans 13, how it puts it. Verse 8, O no man anything... That doesn't mean that you can't ever have a contract or an arrangement with somebody whereby you're making payments because that, you don't owe anything. If you're renting an apartment and you're making your monthly payment on time, you don't owe anybody anything. It's amazing how people get so confused. Somebody will say, well, I, well, I have a, I have a house. And you find out, yeah, and who holds the mortgage? Who holds the mortgage? That's the same thing as owing a landlord if you're going to call, make, having a monthly obligation, owing somebody. This is being in debt and not paying them, defrauding somebody. Somebody will say, well, I owe my house free and clear. You owe just the same. Ever heard of tax liability? You have tax liability into the indefinite future upon that property, just like a mortgage has a claim against your property and just like a landlord does. Forget all that. Owe no man anything. Do not do anything to defraud a man or to deny him what he's expecting from you. You know, if you're a day late, now you owe a man. When you're in a contract, owe no man anything but to love one another. What's the thing that you owe others the most? Their love to them. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this... "...thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself." Do you follow that? The only commandments Paul brought forward are the ones that pertain to how you treat another person. He didn't say anything there about ceremonial, sacrificial, priesthood, civil, national, property, or any other laws. Back to Galatians chapter 5. Think with me for a minute. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. If you love your neighbor as yourself, would you kill him? No, so thou shalt not kill comes into play. Now when the Bible says thou shalt not kill, what does it include? Anger without a cause. Hatred. Malice. Revenge. Name-calling. Tail-bearing. Whispering. Slandering. Vengeance. All those things are included under the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. Because Matthew 5 teaches us that. When the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, that's all wrapped up in thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You wouldn't want someone doing that to your marriage, so you don't do that to others. And when the Bible says thou shalt not commit adultery, what else does it include? The thought of adultery. Verse 28 of Matthew 5. Using divorce laws to get at someone you don't have a right to. Verses 31 and 32 of Matthew 5. How about thou shalt not steal? Is that included in the commandment, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself? Do you want your neighbor stealing from you? No, you don't, and so you don't steal from others. What What I'm giving you right now is very important. Many people misunderstand how much of the Old Testament applies to New Testament saints. And we're going over it right now. It's wrapped up in the love of God and the love of neighbor. And Paul told you what kind of commandments the love of neighbor pulls forward. He didn't say anything about the menstrual laws or any uncleanness that comes upon a man by chance during the night or anything else that's all written back there in the five books of Moses. He just pulls forward the way we treat other people. Thou shalt not steal. Turn to Jeremiah... Hold your hand. We're going to stay at Galatians 5, but I want to show you something. Jeremiah 22. Let me give you an example of what comes forward under the commandment, Thou shalt not steal. This is a good warning for us. We're a close church. We help each other on a regular basis. There are lots of little things we do for each other that we just do as as an act of kindness toward one another. Sometimes we do bigger things. And someone is singled out of the congregation to do something bigger because they have special abilities, skills, tools, access, and they can help us in bigger matters. And this is something to remember when thinking about the commandment, "Thou shalt not steal." Jeremiah twenty-two verse thirteen: Woe unto him that build Jeremiah twenty-two thirteen. Woe unto him that buildeth his house by unrighteousness, and his chambers by wrong. Here's a man that's getting ahead in his house and estate illegally, unscripturally, wrongly. Here's the definition of what he's doing wrong. That useth his neighbor's service without wages and giveth him not for his work. That saith, I will build me a wide house and large chambers and cutteth them out windows. And it is sealed with cedar and painted with vermilion. Here's a man that's getting ahead. We can come back to Galatians 5. When you look at the commandment, thou shalt not steal, and you're to love your neighbor as yourself, here's a little aspect of it that I wanted to lay on you as an example. Paul would pull that forward into the New Testament because that's how you treat your brethren. If someone in here does a special, extraordinary service for you using their ability, their skills, their tools to save you what would have cost you money, You should think about paying them. You never have a right to presume on charity. If the person says, no way am I going to take money for that, that's their choice. You never get to make that choice. Because trying to make that choice yourself and not offering them anything for their extraordinary service to you is stealing. If you hadn't had them and if they hadn't been willing to help you, you would have had to pay money out. And so there's the Lord giving us, and all of that was just, thou shalt not steal. Comes into the New Testament. Because, did you notice that it had to do with your neighbor? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And this happens often among us because, guess what? We're very close with each other. And all sorts of little incidental things that anyone can do, we, we never even think about it. And you shouldn't think about it. But when it becomes an extraordinary thing where a special person has to take extra time and use his abilities and skills, which you would otherwise have to pay for, you should think about that. And all of that is wrapped up in thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, because I'm going to tell you something. If you had the abilities, skill, and tools, you would not want to be taken advantage of by other people on a regular basis either. We all love to give. We all love to serve. And see, if somebody wants to say, are you kidding? I'm not going to take any money for that. That's offensive to me. Well, you've got that. You've got your answer. But at least you're not in Jeremiah 22, 13, and 14 that way. I love the Bible. I love the Bible. It's got an answer for everything as long as we'll read enough of it and understand what comes forward. Thou shalt not bear false witness. That includes backbiting, tailbearing, and whispering because all of that is designed to destroy the character, the reputation, or the future of another person. So when we read the book of Proverbs, and here I am spending a lot of my time writing explanations for talebearing, whispering, and backbiting, which comes from the Old Testament, they are repeated in the New, but that's cheating, because that's not my point right now. It's pulled forward by the commandment, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, which includes, by Romans 13, Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. That's part of the Ten Commandments. That's part of Moses' law. Does it come forward? Yes. Is your mother and your father someone else that you meet in life sort of like a neighbor except a whole lot more important? Yes. Is it repeated in the New Testament? Yes. Ephesians 6, Colossians 3. Thank you, Lord. This is not that complicated. Thou shalt not covet. includes contentment and generosity. The Lord loveth a cheerful giver, 2 Corinthians 9 7 and 2 Corinthians 9 6. The Lord's going to bless the liberal soul that gives generously. If you don't give generously, it tells us something about you. You've got a covetous heart, and you don't like to open your hand wide. And I'm going to tell you a secret. You're never going to get ahead financially. There is that scattereth, and it tends to increase. There is that withholdeth more than his meat. And it tends to poverty. It is as true as the law of gravity. Nuts and apples fall to the ground. And just as surely as the generous man will get ahead, the stingy man doesn't. You'll see it. You can watch it. It's as sure as gravity. It's as sure as 2 plus 2 equals 4. But it's not taught in business schools. It's taught in the house of God from the Word of God for the people of God. And the obedient people of God hear it and they know that there is great reward in keeping His commandments because they've seen it work in their lives. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about, and you have rejoiced over the the perfect certainty of God's Word. That's verse 14. This is the law we bring forward and that we apply under the New Testament. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Verse 15, But if ye bite and devour one another, instead of treating each other like verse 14, like you want to be treated, If ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Forgive every other, forgive everyone. Don't, let's not bite and devour. Let's not be sarcastic. Let's not be vengeful. Let's not be harsh. Let's not be cutting. Let's not be critical. Let's be loving. You will consume your house. You will consume your marriage. You will consume this church. Unless we cut those people off. If you ever hear anyone in this church talking negatively about someone else, cut them off. Tell them to shut up. Tell them, stop talking that way about a brother. You have no right to say that. It doesn't matter how they try to excuse it. It doesn't matter that they or their children have been wronged. That has nothing to do with it. It doesn't matter that you've been wronged. That's the whole point. You have been wronged. But you forgive anyway. We're always going to wrong each other. We're always going to offend and irritate each other. But if we bite and devour each other, we'll consume this church. Other churches have been consumed by that biting and devouring. And if they're not consumed by closing the doors, they're consumed by having a bunch of clicks inside because it's this click that bite and devours that click and that click bites and devours this click, and the church is divided and all busted into splinter groups, and this person hates that person, and you go into some churches and you find out they've had a feud running for 20 years in the house of God. Unbelievable. The Bible says that an angry countenance driveth away a backbiting tongue. If you hear someone backbiting in this assembly, shut their mouth. Stop talking that way about anyone else in this church. We're going to love one another. And loving one another means we don't bring up anything like that. There is nothing that we can do toward one another that is greater than what we've done against the Lord Jesus Christ. And He has freely forgiven us 10,000 talents. And we had better forgive the hundred pence of others' offenses against us. We will destroy this church. There are people driving hundreds of miles to come and see this church. When they leave, they witness to the fact that they have not seen before a church with so much love, peace, and unity. But that love, peace, and unity has come at great cost. That love, peace, and unity is maintained by great cost every day in the history of this church. And the Lord, the Lord of this church needs every single one of you participating in cutting off backbiting tongues. And whiners and complainers. And anybody feeling sorry for themselves or their children. We must forgive, forget, go on, forbear, not be long-suffering, be gentle, be tender-hearted with everyone. That's the commandment of the Word of God. That's what will save this church. I preach on this. I told you I would preach on it for sure the rest of my life once a quarter. But I end up on it about every fourth sermon, don't I? Because wherever I go in the Bible, I have to run into these kind of verses. Because you know and I know that we are only a few Sundays away from blowing up. Because of the selfishness and the wickedness in the human heart. And that includes mine and it includes yours. We see it happen in our homes. We see it happen in the workplace. We see it happen in our society. We've seen it happen all around us. People getting angry and bent out of shape over nothing. We cannot do that. That is not Christian. Jesus Christ did not do that. He commands against it. And if we do it, we'll destroy our church. Every one of you children should love one another. And every one of you parents should make sure your children love one another. And love is shown first and foremost by forgiving anyone else what they do against you. It has nothing to do with pleasant feelings toward other people. It has nothing to do with saying, I love you. It has nothing to do with giving gifts to another person. It has everything to do with forgiving another person that hurts your feelings. Do not let your children ever go home and complain or whine about someone else in our assembly. If we bite and devour one another, we'll consume the church. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. A house divided cannot stand. My brother Paul, your brother Paul, so ferocious for four and a half chapters to get them cleared up on a doctrinal heresy, then comes to this point, and you know it must be important. And it goes right along with doctrinal error. Because where there are people that have left the liberty of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they start tacking on things that you have to do in order to be saved, then they start justifying the way they treat other people. Carnal churches... Have division and strife. Do you remember the church at Corinth? Paul said, I can't even teach you the things I would like to because you are still babes. Because is there not strife among you? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the first three verses. You say, Pastor, are you angry? In a good way. I live scared every day of my life. Because I don't know if you're all tough enough to tell somebody to shut up. I don't know if you're tough enough to tell yourself to shut up. Who cares what somebody did to you? What if they burned your house down around you and you were standing naked in your pajamas out in the driveway with the rest of your kids while the local fire department pumped 110,000 gallons of water all over your furniture and belongings. But then he came and apologized. What are you going to do about it? You know, the guy's going to be locked up for a while. I'm, I'm making an extreme example. Let me tell you something. Burning down your house and leaving you naked and destitute is nothing. Right. Nothing. Nothing. should be able to scoff at it. Because you've done a million times that to the Lord Jesus Christ and He freely forgave you. Maybe He just got a little bit upset and took a blowtorch and burned you out during the night. You know, He had a bad day, so we forgive Him. You say, that's just bizarre, that's crazy. No, it isn't, not at all. It's what we have to do, and I use the extreme example to let you know that none of you have ever even come close to that. All the little things that you get upset about, freely forgive. He's freely forgiven us. If we bite and devour one another, we'll consume this church. You know, everyone that wants to come and see it, I tremble. Every phone call I get, every email, we want to come and see this church, I tremble. Because I know that there are some in here that have swords for tongues. thankfully they're in a very small minority and every visitor understands that for us to be pleasing to the lord jesus christ there are no cliques there's no visions no divisions there's no discord there's no unhappiness we don't whine complain about anyone else we freely forgive we love we're tender hearted we exalt others we rejoice with them in their goodness We should never be rejoicing in anything happening to us or our children. Never. Why in the world do you want to tell us about something good happening to you unless you're giving all the honor and the glory to God? Why aren't you seeking out what good has happened to other people and blessing and praising and honoring them? The Bible says rejoice with them that do rejoice. It doesn't say get others to rejoice with you when you're rejoicing. No, that's right here. You know, I couldn't help it. It's right here. I didn't plan this. Galatians 5.15, there it is. If you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. I've seen families that bust up, break up, hate each other, go their separate ways. You look back a little bit into their history, it's very easy to figure out. They bit and devoured one another. You can go back and you can find biting you can, al- you can find sarcasm allowed. You can find arguments allowed. You can find debate allowed. And those things are not allowed in the Bible. Right. You find churches that bust up. And you find out that those things were allowed to go on. Biting and devouring one another. And pretty soon it consumes the body. Lord help us. Verse 16. This I say then. This I say then. Instead of that way of living, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And what's the Spirit? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. is a great big commandment that includes much of what's in the Spirit. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. He has just described a conflict. Paul says, Galatians, I want you to love one another. But if ye bite and devour one another, you're going to consume yourself. That's the flesh. I'm telling you how to operate by the spirit. These two things are contrary one to another. By nature, we want to bite and devour one another. Listen, when you bite me, I want to bite you back with a few more teeth. Don't you look at me like I'm some Judas Iscariot. Because you want to bite back too and bring a club. And after you've bitten me with a few more teeth, then you'll hit me over the head with your club. It's in our nature to bite and devour one another. And so we've got this conflict going on. And Paul says, walk in the Spirit. Let's choose the things of the Spirit of God, who is the author and the sustaining strength of the liberty of the New Testament gospel. And what is the New Testament gospel? Love your neighbor as yourself which is totally the opposite of biting and devouring one another because you're protecting yourself and wanting to honor yourself. We want to honor and protect one another. The flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Lust means desire. The flesh wants to do certain things. The spirit wants to do certain things. And those things are opposite to each other. And so we live this life constantly. Listen, you wrong me. I got a thought inside for you. But it's in my old man. I hate to even tell you that. I wish I could get rid of it. Thankfully I've got Romans 7 to back me up. But I've got I've got an ins I don't even have to think about it. I don't have to go to a book and figure out how I ought to word this hatred to myself. It comes up in one nanosecond. But my spirit hates that and doesn't want that and has a totally different desire. Hey, just forgive that person. You've done that to the Lord about two trillion times. And so we have that conflict that the Apostle Paul is describing here. They have different desires. The flesh is the wicked part. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. For those of you that are perceptive, you know that I lost my train of thought a few minutes ago when I was talking about birth. Don't look at me when I was talking about birthdays because I'm embarrassed enough. I may have lost it again. The flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary, the one to the other. When you observe a birthday, when you observe a birthday, who's just... uh, I think I know someone in here that just turned 50. But I'll, I'll, I'll leave that to your imagination. Someone just turned 50. When we have a birthday, do you know what we're celebrating? The age of our flesh. That's the thing born to your parents. And that thing born to your parents is not just a body. It is a principle within inside of you that is based on wickedness and evil. It is depraved from Adam. And that flesh loves sin. And that flesh wants to sin. That flesh has lusts. It has desires. And you all know this if you're born again. And your spirit has desires. It's called the Spirit, capital S, It's called the spirit, small s. It's called the new man. It's called the inward man. It's called I. It's called myself. If you go read Romans 7, all these different ways are descriptions of this new man given to us by the Holy Spirit, and they hate each other. And it's going on inside us. You know, if a psychologist were to hear me, he'd say that we're all nuts in this church. But we have an answer. You know, in Romans chapter 7, we got to the end, and the words were... Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I have a war going on inside my body. What's the answer? I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. Amen. That's where the deliverance is and it's coming. A a complete deliverance. That's what verse 17 is describing. These are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Now I want to give you a little different slant on that one. We look at it, our first thought is I want to do what is right and I can't ever end up doing it the way I want to because I've got sin in my members. And I'll allow you to have that understanding of verse 17. The things that ye would. Now it says ye cannot do the things that ye would. Now we know that doesn't mean we can't ever do what's right. It means we don't get done what is right the way we want to get it done. We don't get it done as consistently as we want to get it done. We can never end up Doing right as well as we want to do it because we've still got flesh pulling us down like Paul said in Romans 7. But there's another application of this I want to give you. Your flesh wants to do what is wrong and your spirit won't let it. Amen. Yes. Where do we get that from? First John chapter 3 and verse 9. He that is born of God cannot sin. Do you hear me? So that you cannot do the things that you would. Oh, I, listen, I don't have time to delve into the recesses of your soul. and you know what? I don't really want to go there. But you've got closets in your soul of things you'd like to do. And do you know why you haven't done them so far? Because you can't do them because the Lord won't let you do them. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. Thank you. Do you know where we all could be? We could have the Metropolitan Tabernacle Church of Greenville. Does anybody know what the Metropolitan Tabernacle Metropolitan Community Church. Metropolitan Community Church of Greenville. What's Metropolitan Community Church? It's a a denomination in our country. They're all faggots. They have a faggot in the pulpit. They have faggots in the choirs. They baptize by faggots and, and they only baptize faggots. If you're straight, you're not welcome here. It started in San Francisco. It's a denomination across our country. We could be the Metropolitan Community Church of Greenville if it weren't for the grace of God. You say, well, I can tell you one thing, that ain't in my closet. Amen! Amen. You know why it's not in your closet? Because God was gracious to you. And you know what? If it's in your closet, that's okay. The Lord's held you back from it, and we're going to hold you back from it. I want you to understand that verse. These are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Sometimes you want to do good things, and the flesh doesn't let you get them done the way you want to. Sometimes you want to do evil things and the Lord won't let you. I ran away from home when I was 16 years old. I didn't run. I just walked out like a rebellious brat. I should have got buckshot in my backside, Dad. Rock salt like they used to use up... Yeah. So I could have picked it up with tweezers for the next few weeks. I left home in my rebellion and I had one goal. I was going to out anyone else. And I was the most miserable person on this planet. I got cut off every way. I went all the way across this country, 3,000 miles to the edge of the Pacific Ocean, and the Lord cut me off from being able to do anything. I, was not, I could not do the things that I would. The Spirit of God held me back. I was just a miserable, lonely guy that had to come home and find some sanity for an insane life. And the night I got home, a sane little girl came to the door. And she's now my wife and the mother of my seven children, the grandmother of my seven grandchildren. All by the grace of God. Amen. Verse 18. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. If you're walking with the Spirit of God, you are in liberty. You are in liberty. It's not a do this, don't do that law. It's a wonderful law of just love, just love your neighbor like you already love yourself. Jesus Christ has paid for it all. There's no commandments you need to keep to get to heaven. I've done it all. Just love your neighbor as yourself because if you love me, you're going to love the children I've adopted alongside you. Verse 19, Now the works of the flesh, and there's 17 of them listed. There are 17 sins listed here that if you can do these things and be comfortable in them, you're on your way to hell. It says in verse 21, it says in 21, I have also told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The general rule of the Word of God is the same as First John chapter 3. If you can do these things and they don't tear you up, if you can do these things and you don't repent, if you can do these things and just wallow in them, you're on your way to hell. That's what it says. I have to preach what it says. And that's all I'm going to preach. Because you should have a seed inside you that hates those 17 things and tears you apart when you commit them. What are they? Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. The first first gives us four sexual sins. Adultery involves married people. Fornication involves unmarried people. Uncleanness involves animals and all sorts of other things that don't involve married people or unmarried people. Lasciviousness involves a whole lot of things short of actually having intercourse with a married person or an unmarried person. You could be a peeping Tom, read pornography or read romance novels as a woman, and you're guilty of lasciviousness because that is unbridled lust and playing to the lust of your flesh short of The sins mentioned earlier in that list. Those four condemn many and all sexual sins that face us and that our flesh loves. We have a whole world out there bombarding us with sexual suggestion, sexual temptation, sexual liberty. They call it casual sex now. It used to be called adultery. It used to be called whoredom. You know, if there was a girl in school and there was only one, five, or ten of them out of a class of 500 or 1,000, she was called a whore or a slut. Now it's just casual sex. We have a war to fight. Right. And this, seventh, this 19th verse tells us that we've got to get rid of these things. Just think about it. If you look at those four words and you understand them, what they mean and what they include... We have got to fight against many magazines, most movies, many books, much music. We've got to fight against nightclubs, mixed swimming, co-ed gyms, dancing, unchaperoned dating, most television, work situations, chat rooms, flirting with the opposite sex, sports venues, modest clothing and makeup, sober and clean language, late marriages, long engagements, email, And anything else you want to add to that list? All those things, if we're going to walk in the Spirit, the Spirit hates those things and how they are used to corrupt the sexual purity of the children of God. The flesh loves all four. If you like reading romance novels, it's because your flesh loves adultery. If you look at pornography it's because your flesh loves adultery. If any of these things are too hard for you to give up, it's because your flesh loves them. The Spirit hates them. Verse 20. Idolatry. Witchcraft. Hatred. Variance. Emulations. Wrath. Strife. Seditions. Heresies. There's some more in the list of 17. What's idolatry? Idolatry. Anything to do with false gods and their worship. It includes Eastern martial arts. It includes graven images like the Passion movie. It includes Christmas, Easter, and Valentine's Day. Because all those things have to do with pagan deities. Witchcraft. Is anything to do with the occult, devils, spirits, horoscopes, Ouija boards, fortune cookies, fairies, Harry Potter, ghosts, Halloween, and Merlin the Magician. There ain't no cookie that's ever told you your fortune. The only people that think that way have cookies for brains. All of that. You know, I love medieval knights. Armor, swords, chivalry, fair ladies, you know, that kind of stuff. I've basically had to give the whole thing up. Because everywhere I go, Merlin the Magician has to stick his ugly bald head up. Listen, if I would have been Arthur, I'd have cut it off first. There's a very talented, very talented sleight of hand artist in our church. Very talented. And he gave it up because it was too closely associated with this darker side of the world, you know, once in a while you can get him to do something. It's hard, it's worth it though. When you can, when you can twist his arm into it, when he knows that there's no evil connotations made, he's not tossing rags and he doesn't wear a turban and act like he's praying to a crystal ball or anything. He's good. If he can, if he can, he can take a lemon. Let me just. I, I know I'm way off. Lord, forgive me. And I mean that sincerely. I've seen this guy take a lemon and he said, inspect this. I inspected it, I squeezed it, I sat on it, I did everything I could to this lemon. Okay. I handed it back to him. He could whack that thing in half with a knife and open it up, and there's a dollar bill in the middle of it. That irritates me. Because I I followed his hands as closely as I could. And that's my my biggest error. I'm following his hands as closely. You know who I'm talking about, don't you, Tim? I said all that to say I commend you, brother. I've had to give up something that I like to a certain degree, and you've given it up in your life. You were very good at it. You could have done things with it, and it would have been a whole lot more fun than trying to get along with all those guys at Lockheed. But that's the effort some of, you know, and and all of you have made other, you've cut out fairy tales, you've cut out Harry Potter, you've cut out other things in your lives so that you will not be guilty of any association with witchcraft. Praise the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit does not want us to associate with witchcraft. There's only one source of wisdom, understanding, and blessing or judgment on the universe and it's from the God of heaven. That's right. It's not an evil spirit. It's by anything. The devil can't do a thing even to a pig. I want to just enjoy this for a second. The devil had to come and ask permission of the Lord Jesus Christ before he was glorified if he could go into a herd of swine. Right. Does that comfort you at all? That gets me excited. There's, do you know where he was? He wasn't standing talking face to face. Where was he? He was on the deck asking the Lord Jesus Christ if he could have permission to go into a herd of swine. Don't you ever fear the devil. Resist the devil. Fear the Lord. So that he doesn't turn you over to the devil. Hatred. Hatred. Holding ill will towards someone else instead of loving them. Variance. Variance. What does that mean? Different. Being different. Being in disagreement with us. being Sowing discord among the brethren. Being divisive. Debating. That's all wrapped up under the word. The Bible is very clear about a church. We are to be of one mind. Of one heart. Of one judgment. Of one mouth. Amen. Amen. If you think that we're wrong on some point, then pray about it. We don't want to hear your bickering about it. We don't want to hear your division about it. Submit a suggestion meekly and with respect to the man of God and he'll look at it. But we all have one mind. Variance is God hates those that sow discord among brethren. That's what the word variance means. Emulations. An excessive competitiveness to match or equal someone else in anything. That's what the word emulation means. You know, this is from the old outline, forgotten sins, because no one uses that word anymore. America loves competitiveness. But in the house of God, there shouldn't be competitiveness. There should be no guy worried about how many dates he's had compared to anyone else. And you know what I mean by dates? I mean having any social activity with uh, with a girl in our church. No girl should be thinking the same thing. No man should be thinking competitively about his job, his car, his house. But America's sold on that. Always racing to outdo someone else. And that's what the word emulations means. Excessive competitiveness to equal or exceed another person, anything. Wrath. Hot anger that you don't have under control and obviously it's unjustified. Strife. Fighting. Grudges. Bitterness. Contests. Opposition. Seditions. Efforts to overthrow the authority in any place, whether it's the government or the church or a home. Sedition is talking behind the back of someone in authority in an effort to overthrow their authority. It doesn't belong in the church of Christ heresies, doctrinal error, anything different than what the church believes and teaches. You don't have a right to talk about it. We have a rule here. If you think that you understand something in the Bible differently than the pastor and what's taught here, you may remain a member here under two conditions. You don't talk about it because to talk about it is to be seditious. You are able to listen to the pastor preach on other things. Because if that little thing becomes so important to you, you can no longer listen to the man of God, then you're guilty of stubbornness and rebellion. If you can't keep those two things, then go start your own church where other people can sit and believe the wonderful things that you've learned from your Bible study. And I say none of that in a haughtiness. I say all of that in a desire to keep our church unified. That's always been the rule here for the last 22 years that I know about. Two conditions. You don't talk about it. Because no one needs to hear your little idea. When your little idea is brought by the Spirit of God to your pastor, then other people can hear about it. Second, if you can't any longer listen to the man of God because that thing is bothering you so much, because you are so upset that out of 10,000 points of doctrine, the pastor hasn't fallen to his knees in front of you and said, you are the source of all wisdom. Thank you so much. For this one point out of 10,000 and so you're no longer able to listen to the pastor because that's grinding at your soul, then you've got a problem. You've got the problem. We don't. Right. We're not going to change on anything we believe in this pulpit or this church until the Lord gives us overwhelming evidence to do so. Right. And your little ideas from five minutes of Bible study are not overwhelming evidence. We've changed before and will change in the future. And none of what I've just said has been said arrogantly. I want the truth from whatever source it comes from. I don't care if I read the New York Times tomorrow, which I consider filth, and I learn something from Benedict Sixteenth. If it's true by the Word of God, you're going to hear it next Sunday. Amen. But I do love unity, and I hate sedition. Amen. And so does everyone else right. when it involves their authority. Amen. Every father hates sedition if his wife was sowing sedition against him with the children when he wasn't around. Every master hates sedition. Don't they, Lou? When employees start talking among themselves against the master. It's just that when it's authority above us, it gets real easy, doesn't it? Then all of a sudden it's sort of acceptable because we can talk against the government. But while you're talking against the government, I hope your wife and your children are at home planning your overthrow. And that they all hate you. While you hate our government. The government we have is the government God gave us, and we're going to submit to it, be thankful for it, pay its taxes, and give them honor. And let me tell you something. If George W. Bush, and I'm dropping his title for the moment, came through that door, and I wrote you that earlier this week, and I mean it with all my heart, he would be called President George W. Bush, and we would give him great honor. He's the commander-in-chief of this nation, and we would show it. Do do I have Bible verses for that? Romans chapter 13, go try it on. Tribute to whom tribute is due, honor to whom honor is due. We would show him honor. God put him in that office. Seditions, heresies. Envyings, resenting someone else for an advantage they might have over you. Murders, you say, well, I've never committed murder, so that doesn't belong to We've all committed murder. Anger without a cause. Matthew five, twenty one through twenty six. Anger without a cause, calling somebody a fool without a cause. Backbiting, tail bearing, whispering, oh yes. We're murderers. But there shouldn't be any of that in the Church of God. Drunkenness, revelings. Revelings is partying. Wide open, unrestrained, foolish, ridiculous, laughing, crazy, craziness. That's what reveling is. And such like. Whenever you read those words in the Bible, here we've just gone through a list of 17 and Paul says, I don't have paper or ink. And such like. Any other sin that compares to these, you can go ahead and include it in the list. So you can go ahead and include in that list anything else that's a sin like those, whether it be, whether it be gluttony, disobedience to parents, backbiting, lying, purloining, prognostication, jesting, heady, answering again, tail bearing, foolish talking, or a whole lot of other sins the Bible gives us. And then he says, Of the which I tell you before. What what tense is the verb I tell you? Present. Of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me tell you how nice Brother Paul is by the Holy Spirit. I tell you before. Do you know what he means? I'm giving you a warning in advance before you stand before Jesus Christ and find out that these things are unacceptable in His kingdom. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8. All liars, whoremongers, adulterers, sorcerers shall have their part in the lake of fire. Nothing unclean shall enter into that city. Revelation 21:27. I tell you before, as I have told you in the past, he's now telling them in the present, but he's telling them in the present something before an event that's going to come in the future. The judgment of Jesus Christ and we will end right there for this morning. The fruit of the spirit will have to wait. The nine things that we can put on in our life, we put them on. We don't wait. We walk in the spirit. These things you can put to death. Because look at what it says in verse 24, it says they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the lusts and affections thereof. To crucify something is to put it to death. Those 17 things are desires that are in your life. They're in your flesh. And you're to put them to death. And to walk in the Spirit. And we're to wrap everything up toward other people in the words, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You already love yourself very much. You're very protective of yourself. You're very protective of your children. Forget you and forget your children. Get very protective of others and their children. Instead of just caring and worrying about you and your things, care and worry about others and their things. May the Lord bless us to do this. Let's hate biting and devouring. Let's cut it off wherever we hear it. And let's have a church that pleases the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the liberty of the Gospel. None of this is hard. This is not hard. You don't have to be going out to your flock every day and killing an animal and hauling it to the priest. This is easy. You already know how to love You're full of it for yourself. Just share a little bit with others. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And the Lord's pleased. He's done it all for us. He just wants us all to get along before we're in heaven when He'll help us get along by getting rid of our flesh. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.